Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hi. You should sound more enthusiastic, punk. Yeah. Now I'm a punk, am I? Tis a punk. So what's going on, man? What's new in the world of you? It's summer. You know how I know it's summer? No, tell me. I was doing yard work. Yeah, that typically signifies summer. It's it's the requisite uh, summer activity. I had to rake some... Brush. I was like George Bush in his first uh, term. I was clearing brush up quite a bit. <laughs> that pretty much qualifies you to be president, too, as far as I can tell. Yeah, but I got some things to think about and uh, clear some brush. I remember seeing in uh, one of the Michael Moore films, it was probably the, the last one he did, the one very critical of the president, where he went to, uh, actually, the, he cut in footage from the ranch of his first, one of his many millions of vacations that he took, which mm-hmm. he continues to take, and... Um, the press was asking him things like, well, what are you going to do? Well, me and uh, the vice president, we're going to work on a few initiatives. And he started throwing out all these words, and they were like, well, what initiatives? And he goes, well, some initiatives. Various and sundry initiatives. <laughs> yeah, and it was like, you know, he was he learned a new word, and he wanted to use it, and then they called him out on it, and he was, like, totally lost when uh, push came to shove, and he had to actually define what initiatives so, Mr. President, what's what? What are you having for lunch? We're having a couple of initiatives with a side of fries. <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, <laughs> supersize that. Would you like to supersize that? Why, but of course, but of course. Well, the good news is the compressor's fixed. It's back. We're, it's back in black. We're being compressed. Well, we're always compressed, except I feel now. Small. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. It's too silly, Rich. Stop. That's well, enough. Yeah, I know. It gets us in trouble when we do the blue humor. Stop twiddling the knob. I got to twiddle another knob, so talk for a second. Uh, Rich wants me to talk because he's adjusting the compressor. You see, he's got this uh, this equipment fetish that he's working out. Well, it's a completely different compressor now. I'll actually tell the story. The thing, every once in a while, when it got warm, when it's been on for an hour or two, all of a sudden, a lot of 60 hertz hum would start coming out. You know, you've all heard it. You know, and it wasn't like a, a like a slow buildup. It would be we're talking, and then it was a switch. It would just <laughs> yeah, it would just turn on. But it was usually intermittent, and in time, it would usually go away. In fact, if you recycled the power and you turned it on and off, it would often go away. Except this time, it never went away. So I sent it down to a local repairman, and he could not find the problem. And I called him on the phone one day, and I said, yeah, those those intermittent problems are tough. And he goes, no, it's not intermittent. It's humming now. I just can't figure out where it's coming from. Oh, I found your problem. And he pulled out this, like, 15-inch cockroach. It was right in the middle of it. Well, there's your problem. <laughs> there's your problem. And so, anyway, where I work, I happen to have a relationship with uh, one of the East Coast's best Pro Audio Repair Shop. It's a little shop in New York City called Is Expert Audio Repair Service. It's a clever little acronym, too. They need a jingle. 
<laughs> they probably have one. So earsnyc.com is their website, but it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, these guys, because they have Manhattan rent, they get, they had, literally their rent is, they told me something like four grand a month for the sixth floor. And it's like a thousand square feet hovel, you know, we don't pick up the phone for less than two grand. <laughs> yeah. So basically they get $95 an hour bench time. <laughs> what happens if you want a massage? I don't know, but uh, they got busted for that. I don't really know what's going on with that. But no, earsnyc.com, they are literally one of the best pro audio equipment repair shops on the planet. And you know what? They fixed it. And even though it costs 200 bucks, it's fixed. And they I calibrated it. it. I don't believe it. They did everything. I don't believe it until um, it, we're about a half an hour in and then well, there is no home. How long has it been on? How, how, my pencil hit my wine glass. How long has it been on? It's been on about an hour and a half already, right? Yeah, we'll see. It usually happens near the end of the show. Well, I read the invoice that they sent me, and it said uh, they called it power supply flutter. That's how they referred to the problem, and they fixed it. They actually had to tear all of the components of the power supply off the motherboard and rebuild it with a few new components. And I, the rest of the invoice was cool because it said reflow main circuit board. And what that means is they resoldered every connection on the main circuit board to make sure that they were good because that in time those joints fail and this is a vintage uh Yuri compressor it's about 20 years old so they they really took care of me on this I'm pretty excited about it actually how did they do that did they uh bake it what do you mean I've seen I've seen people who who put like solder paste all over a, a board and then they'll actually bake it and it and it melts the solder paste. no I I don't know I mean I didn't ask but I'm sure they just hand re-soldered every joint on the board so hopefully and they recalibrated it too which is why I'm making adjustments because I wrote down where all of the settings were before I sent it away but they're all meaningless now because they've recalibrated the unit and it's actually working like it did when it came from the factory and uh, that's a good thing you see what just happened there I don't know what happened there we became a tech show Obviously, our ratings are going to go up. <laughs> That's right. Okay, we're working on a little list of things to do and what not to do in podcasting. It's going to be published shortly. We are going to work on that. Yeah, it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun. We're going to piss some people off, and we're going to make some people <laughs> laugh. It'll be reminiscent of our wine list. So, you know, I, there's something I wanted to mention for the past three weeks, and I'm going to mention it now, and uh, here it comes. You remember how I said there were four bowling alleys between you and me? Now there are three. <laughs> Did one close or burn down? Burn down. It burned? The one in the You're night. You're kidding of, me. No, it burned to the ground, man. All it is now, and it's been this way for three or four weeks, but now all of the steel girders are just like twisted and bent from the heat. Oh. And they're they're slowly tearing it down. So I was only joking when I said, did it burn down? Because it, it's one of those things that happens up here. Oh, it burned down. Freak fires. Yeah, mysterious, uh, accidental fires. Yeah, there's a high correlation between fires and business problems. Fire. <laughs> Fire good. So, yeah, three bowling alleys now. I don't know what they're going to do with that property. I haven't seen any. They haven't alluded to what they're going to do yet. But uh, It's going to be a bowling complex now. It's going to be the Olympic Bowling Center. <laughs> Maybe they'll put like a, a short track speed skating arena in there or something. Hey, did you see the Apollo Anton Ono he won, won Dancing with the Stars? Yeah, and that's I'm actually one of my guilty pleasures that I'm going to talk about on here. I, I don't watch that as much as I watched the one that started the other day. But I think I said this last year, but one of my guilty pleasures is a TV show called Dancing. Or not Dancing, it's uh, So You Think You Can Dance. 
And it's the exact same format as the singing show. Um, what's it called? American Idol. American Idol. They basically show three episodes of just auditions, the good ones and the bad ones. It's produced, you know, Simon Cowell is involved in the production. It's but gotta be. It's literally the exact same format, except they have a different rude British guy who is sort of the executive producer and or judge on the show. His name is Nigel Lithgow or something like that, and he's an ex-dancer and all that. It's funny because it's anyone who's got to be critical has to be British, and anyone hosting a show has to be Australian. Yeah, Kat Dealey, I think, is the... She's British who hosts this show, but it's been on for a couple of years. And like I said, it's the exact same format as Idol, and there's some really cool, talented dancers on there. And for whatever reason, and I don't know what it is, but I love watching dance. They're so expressive, and I just love watching athletic anything, and dance is such a poetic expression of athletics, I guess, is kind of a way to put it. It's the vertical expression of a horizontal desire. Exactly. And uh, that's, that's the uh, tagline from the movie Lombada. <laughs> yeah. and, and there's a little bit of truth to that. So, yeah, that's one of my guilty pleasures. And I did watch a little bit of Dancing with the Stars, and I did see Apollo Anton Ono, and he was really good. I didn't watch any of the shows. I just heard on the radio that he had won, and I thought, well, you know what? If anyone's going to win, I could root for him because he's a real athlete. Well, um, what's his name? The, court, the running back from the Dallas Cowboys won last year. Emmett, Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith was on there? He won it last year. Holy And cow. if there are any two people who should have good fast feet and good footwork, it should be a running back. And you know who did great this season was Layla Ali, uh, Muhammad Ali's daughter. And she again, she was on there too. Yeah, she was in the top three in the end. And again, you know, they, they, what is, what do they do? They dance. Boxers dance. It's all about footwork. So again, oh, yeah. if somebody, if you would expect two kinds of athletes to be good at dancing, I would not be surprised that a, a boxer and a, and a running back would have good footwork, you know, because they practice. She was at, at one point and she just knocked out her opponent. <laughs> no, she was actually very elegant. She has that sort of Tina Turner thing going where she's got like elegance and power at the same time because she's really muscular. And she was actually really good and she was fun to watch. But, uh, oh no, the uh, figure, uh, the figure skater, right? Yeah. The short track speed skater. Uh, I think won. he'd slap you for saying that he was a figure skater. I don't think he would because I'd kick his ass. He's about four feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> he is a, he is a little guy, and they found him a little partner too. But uh, I think that's all I have for the intro. Oh, Floyd! I just wanted to talk about Floyd. The hearing is over, and uh, I'm not sure there were any incredible smoking guns, but there was a very focused series. It, you know, the testimony and the witnesses from Lance's side were very focused, and from what I've read, they showed pretty powerfully that there were a series of errors made with the testing and i wouldn't be surprised if uh, the the judges came back with a not guilty verdict because i mean it seems clear to me that there was some gross uh errors made in the use of the equipment and everything else i mean that whole lance or not lance that whole greg lamond day where there was all kinds of you know uh drama and soap opera mm-hmm. stuff going on to me that's not even relevant that has nothing to do with the science and this trial is everything about the science you know well it it, it has like any trial there there's well, there are the facts and not then, really a trial i mean I, I misspoke when i said that but it's more of a hearing well in in any case where there's a court involved and there there's a truth is is trying to be teased out of the situation you also have to look at the behavior i mean and if someone was from Floyd Landis's camp is trying to to coerce someone else into not saying something that doesn't really uh, speak to his character. But it doesn't also speak to Floyd Landis. It speaks to the character of the person who did it. Oh, sure. There's but no there's direct this whole camp, you know. But there's no direct evidence that that Floyd told him to do it. And as far as I'm concerned, Lamont's testimony is meaningless. You know, and I'm a Lamont fan. I mean, come on, you know. Well, 
all I've got to say is if the glove does not fit, you cannot acquit or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes me want to get in a, a Ford Explorer at a white one and drive on the highway. Yeah. That whole trial proved to me that, that it has nothing to do with the truth. <laughs> The trial well, has nothing hey, to do with the truth. if you can afford a great lawyer, you're you're one step ahead of the game. There's no doubt about a it. A great team of lawyers. Well, and, and Landis himself compiled a great team of lawyers, but at the same time, they were they had science on their side. And in fact, my favorite moment of the testimony I was reading this was uh, Landis had a uh, an expert, you know, an expert judge on the stand who, uh, in quotes, expert, who was testifying how the French lab had made some errors. And the when he was questioned by the prosecution, the the U.S. anti doping agency's attorneys, they were calling into question his credibility. Are you really qualified to comment on this machine? And he then, from his pocket, produced a letter from the World Anti Doping Agency, where he was asked to run their UCLA lab. <laughs> right. And and the the writer who wrote that column said, and then suddenly the prosecution switched to a different line of questioning. <laughs> right. Um, never mind. Yeah, never mind. It was suddenly Emily Latella was <laughs> the right. prosecuting lawyer. <laughs> Watch this, I hear you're not qualified to testify. Never mind. <laughs> That's right. But anyway, yeah, so, you know, and you would think they would have done their homework, because what is it that a lawyer is supposed to do? Never ask a question you don't already know the answer to, right? And guess what? They didn't know the answer to that one. But anyway, the uh, the arbitrators now are going to spend about a month re-examining all of the evidence and whatnot, and they're going to render a decision, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Mr. Pasteur, if that is your name... <laughs> What makes you qualify to talk about sterilization techniques? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, our intro's gone really long. You want you want to play a tune? Yep. All right, let's check it out. Games. You 
Yeah, that did work. <laughs> you think it'll work? I think it might work. Who was that? That was my friend, Mark Warchowski. One of the Warchowski brothers? It is one of the Warchowski brothers. I actually have no idea if he has any siblings, but that's, uh, that's a record that I mixed. Actually, I mixed half the record. No. It is quite mixed. I mixed the whole record except one song, but I didn't track the whole record. This CD consists of a bunch of new tunes that we recorded, and then there was a bunch of tunes that he had recorded... I don't know, in the late 80s or mid-80s on uh, analog tape on one-inch 16-track. So what we did was we dubbed those over to ADATs, to a digital format, and then I I mixed those for this record, but I didn't actually record those. It was recorded by another engineer, but that song was recorded by me and mixed by me. That was called Games, a little bit of a kind of a Texas boogie. I don't know if anybody remembers, but we played him a couple times before, and Pretty much every song on this record is written in the style of a, one of his favorite bands. Like there was that sort of double guitar, Thin Lizzy style song. Right. And this is sort of a Texas swing, Texas boogie kind of ZZ Topish, you know, George Thorogoody almost with a sax in there kind of mm-hmm. song. Yeah, ZZ Top. What a band. <clears throat> I have a friend. What beards. I have a friend who was in a cover band of them and they wrote their own songs and they were called A.A. Bottom. Get it? Uh... Get it? Get One it? of the worst names ever. I know, but it's mildly funny. Come on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good for a joke, but I wouldn't actually put that on print. Well, no, I wouldn't make a record with that name, no. but they were just a cover band playing, like, you know, frat parties, you know? Well, well that's okay, I guess. What are we drinking today, anyway? This is a fun wine. Um, you brought this, and I said, hey, let's give it a shot. Let's see what it is. This yeah, let's is, drink this. This is uh, pretty pretty interesting. It's, uh, if I can read this correctly... Pibe? Is that Pibe? Mm-hmm. Valderrama. Ruby. This is, uh, I don't know if there's any soccer fans out there other than me and John, but there's a fame, one of the most famous, if not the most famous athlete to ever come out of Colombia, South America, is Carlos Valderrama, one of the great soccer players of all time. And they made a little tribute wine for Carlos, and that's what this is. We think it's a 2004, but they're sort of hiding the vintage on there. Yeah, they don't show any year and they also don't show any uh, anything else that you can really identify this one except Carlos Valderrama's hair. Yeah, this... he's quite famous for having a sort of a kind of an afro, actually. Yeah, it's it's uh, bleached sort of afro teased hair. Yeah, he, a lot of soccer players in in uh, Latin America they they do the funky hair thing. Right. And, well, it's uh, his signature. Yeah, and his his hair is quite well known. It almost looks like. Uh, I don't know. Big Bird, would you say? <laughs> Snuffleupagus. Yes, Big Bird. So when I saw this wine, I'm thinking, you know, it's got to it's gotta be a decent wine because there's like 15 different uh, types of grape that are used in it. It's a blend. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon Malbec Syrah. And it's interesting that... Uh, White grapes. Yeah, they throw grapes, a little... They just throw whatever they want. There's little hot, hot tamales in there. <laughs> There's a worm at the bottom of it, I think. <laughs> Actually, there might be. No, it's a fun wine. And they're all good grapes. The Cabernet, the Malbec, and the Syrah are great. And apparently uh, the Syrah and the Americas is still called the Syrah. It's only mm-hmm. called the Shiraz in Australia. That's right. And it's called Syrah in France, too. And by the way, this bottle did come back with me from Colombia. I bought that when I was visiting South America, and it's been sitting in a wine rack in my wine cellar for, uh, <laughs> I don't know, since February. Oh, so this, I, I thought that you bought this here. No, I, yeah, no, it's been cellar. band. It's been cellared since February. Yeah, but we don't even know if that's that's significant because we don't know what year it was made. Well, let's just assume it's an 04. You did see the year 04 mm, on there. It tastes like an 04. So let's just put it in on the blog as an 04. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know if we've got any people who are actually reading that blog anymore. 
<laughs> Certainly not you. <laughs> no, we get Kirsten reading it every once in a while. Yeah. Hi, Kirsten. Hope you're enjoying your little vacation to the Chicago Drum Show. Hey, I saw some dinosaur bones on that those pictures. Pretty mm-hmm. cool. And the Jetsons Cafe. <laughs> yeah. I love pictures of Americana. It's awesome. Yeah, she's famous, our, our friend Kirsten, who we're going to have on the show in the very near future. She's on vacation, I guess, right now. And uh, she likes to post her digital camera photos to her blog remotely from various cafes with internet connectivity, apparently. And she's kind of famous for putting up pictures on her blog of uh, her vacations. And there's a lot of cool photos. And she went to this one cafe that was sort of very futuristic looking. You know, it reminded me, like, if the Jetsons had a cafe, it would be that. Yeah, they've got, like, the weird ovals everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Boomerang shapes. And little cars that go... (laughs) So anyway, what's what's now? What's wow? What's well, crazy? I'm going to try to segue here. Uh, we've got Carlos Valderrama, sport. Let's talk about some sports. Yeah, we rarely do. We sort of talk about it in the abstract and very briefly, but let's let's get into... Well, you go ahead. You, something, was, yeah, something's been ticking me off about sports, and that is athletes. Thuggery. Thuggery. Athletes and thuggery. In the NFL recently, there have been two cases that have been widely publicized. One is of Adam Pac-Man Jones. I mean, if you can have a nickname, Pac-Man is going to be it. <laughs> I would love to have that nickname. I mean, the only thing I can think of is this guy eats dots. <laughs> you know what my nicknames are at work, by the way? <laughs> um, Weenie Master and uh, Potato Boy. I have no idea. No, uh, one of them is Danger. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not getting that. Yeah, and well, that's just it. It's a it's a juxtaposition, ah, you know, the, the key word. It's you know, irony. That's, that's part of our whole mission statement. Well, you saw, what was the boxing film with the girl there? Uh, uh, the actress uh, who won the Academy. Hillary Swank. Hillary Swank, yeah. Remember there was the one really skinny, nerdy guy who was a boxer, and his name was Danger. Oh, and that's he, right. So one of the guys at work, at my... Uh, request. I said, if anybody ever calls, start letting them start telling them my nickname is Danger. And now I get people calling in asking for Danger, which is really funny because I'm like Clark Kent. I'm so low key, you know. But my other nickname is the Vanilla Hammer. So. <laughs> I don't even want to know. <laughs> well, that's 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 what it is. Dang, dang, yo! A little tribute to Dave. It's a Harry. shout out. Shout out. So yeah, there there's Adam Pacman Jones who has been suspended for the entire 2007 football season. And that's because he has been arrested, I think, five times since he was drafted in 2005. And uh, he's been questioned by the police over ten times. And the last time he got arrested, it was for some brawl that happened in a strip club where someone ended up getting shot. And, you know, I'm starting to get kind of ticked off at these athletes who are... I don't know, they're thugs, they get million-dollar contracts, several million-dollar contracts, they continue to be thugs. And then, uh, what's the next one? Michael Vick. Michael Vick is a, is the quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. And he is under suspicion for running a dog-fighting ring hmm. in Virginia. At least they, it's not a cock-fighting ring. <laughs> but I'm bummed. So, <laughs> dog-fighting. We all know how painful that can be. We're talking, <laughs> we're talking about dogs... Pets, lovable little creatures, they're they're set up and they're pumped up with drugs and they're sent into the ring and they kill each other, which is an illegal activity, and he's denying it, but they, he he owns a house in Virginia and they found blood and, and people are having um, 
parties there and and dogs are all over the place and and <laughs> they saw him buying all sorts of drugs at veterinary hospitals and uh hundreds and hundreds of pounds of dog food for his uh for his house out in Virginia. <laughs> you know, maybe he's just hungry. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. anyway, well it's sort of like uh Mel Gibson in uh those cop movies. He was eating the dog biscuits, you know. Maybe he really just does like dog food. Yeah, but but he's under suspicion too, and people are talking about. Well, you know, Mel Gibson. No, not no. Mel Gibson. Well, he is under suspicion. Well, he's certainly very. He's very suspicious. I mean, you know, who's getting character? Who? Yeah. But Michael Vick is under suspicion because uh, they're talking about possibly suspending him too. Well, if the other guy's nickname is Pac Man, his name should be Michael Vick twenty. <laughs> but um, boom. Anyway, that's really awful. That's awful. I know. It's not even close to being awful. It's so bad. That's beneath awful. Yeah, but I'm. I'm Seeing all of these these athletes, and these are just the two highest two highest profile characters who are, right. are the, getting, the latest two. Yeah, the latest two. But if you look in the news, there are, there there's I can't remember which team it was in the NFL. Eight or nine of the the players have been arrested recently in the past year. To me, this is just ridiculous. That and because the the commissioner of the NFL is is under criticism for cleaning up the sport and suspending these people. Well, you know, and I'm going to make a statement here, and this has nothing to do with race. This is more socioeconomic. You know, a lot of these African-American players come from very poor backgrounds, and they're suddenly thrust into a place where they have lots of money and lots of power, and they think they can get anybody. And this has nothing to do with their color of their skin. It has everything to do with the fact that they were impoverished or certainly working class or below. And suddenly they have all this money at their disposal and they're treated like kings when they go in the clubs. And suddenly they think they can get away with all this stuff, you know. But and it's, it's suddenly their behavior becomes very um, questionable. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even talking about the behavior. The behavior is the behavior. People are can yeah, But be the criminals. behavior is everything. The behavior is awful. The behavior is the crime. The medium is the message. I don't know. <laughs> all right, Marshall. <laughs> The behavior is awful, and the behavior should be punished, and the behavior is being punished, and the police are investigating it, and it's just like a normal activity. The thing that bugs me is people who are outside of it, who are not impoverished, who just happen to be fans of the NFL and think that, oh, yeah, we need these guys on our team. You know, we're Atlanta Falcons fans. We don't want to lose our top quarterback. (laughs) They're ticked off because their quarterback might be suspended or removed from the team because he's a thug, because he's having dogs fight to the death in his house and and he can afford lawyers to get him out of that crime well that remains to be seen doesn't it or well not? well they're they still haven't even charged him with it but it i mean all of the the evidence that they keep talking about it it's almost like the only thing that they don't have is a picture of him with a wad of money in his hand in front of a dog being killed <laughs> the smoking gun <laughs> right it really irks me that people are coming to their defense and enabling them and it's this this pattern of enablement, and it starts all the way from the point when they're in the, in college and they're, yeah, they're yeah. student athletes. It's clear by then that they're yeah. going to be a star. You right. know, they're, they, they were the star of their high school team, and if they're good enough to be the star of their college team, they have talent. You know, if, yeah. if you're in a D one school, and you know people are bragging about your skills, you're pretty good. You know, and yeah. you're probably going to go to the NFL, and you're probably going to take a basket weaving class and get A's. And I've got a little bit of experience with this. Because I you ta- took a basket weaving class? No, I taught a basket weaving class. <laughs> I, Whoa! I, I was when I was at Syracuse University. I was doing uh, uh, some graduate work. I actually taught some classes, and I had student athletes in my class. For the most part, 
they were just like any other student. You know, fine. But two had, arms, two legs, two eyes, two noses. <laughs> a couple of two tree noses. Well, the ones who grew up next to the nuclear power plants. That's right. And that's what made them the athletes because they could smell better than anyone. They had amazing genetics. That's right. They had fast twitch muscles. Something like that. Anyways, I had I had one student who was a lacrosse player. Who Very good lacrosse team, SU. For the at, first time in 20 yeah. years, did not get into the uh, playoffs in uh, right. Division uh, NCAA Division One. That's because they lost all their good players and the coach, too. And but, apparently a lot of games. <laughs> Some games. <laughs> That's the key, though. If you won the What's, games without the players, you go. But, someone's got to do a study about that whole, you know, there's a correlation between winning and reaching the championship. Yeah. It's an odd thing. I don't know. It's uh, We have to come up with an algorithm for that. So anyways, I had this one student who was a, a lacrosse player who barely showed up to the class, <laughs> barely did the work when he did show up to the class, always turned things in late, and when he did turn turn things in at all, they were pretty much awful. So, And there was dog blood all over his uniform. <laughs> right, and I had a picture of him with a wad of money in front of a dog eating another dog. So I, I basically... And a receipt for 40 pounds of dog food. I was gracious and gave him a D. <laughs> okay? Actually, that's what happened? Yeah, yeah a D. gave him a D. He came to me... And and essentially said, you're going to be the reason why I'm losing my athletic scholarship. And I said, no, you are going to be the reason why you're losing your scholarship because you chose not to participate in the class. And then he hit you in the head with an, an aluminum STX lacrosse stick, and it was over. I don't remember much after that. Actually, incident. there's a scar on John's forehead. That's from a, that's a, from the dog. He's got two bolts on the side of his neck too. That was from the reconstructive hey, surgery. All I know is fire bad. <laughs> so. <laughs> And the thing is, what I did is I talked to some other professors and said, hey, look, have, do you know this guy? Do you know what's going on with him? And you know, Does his story really jive that, that that he's on his last leg? No, they said every every class that he's ever taken, that's how he acts. And he says the same thing, that he's going to lose his athletic scholarship. And eventually, some of the professors, they relent and they give him a passing grade. And and that's the behavior that, that has gotten these athletes into the position that they're in now they think that all they have to do is say, hey, you know, they, they flash the smile. They say, look, you know, I just need to get past this to get to the to the next step. Did the smile work on you, by the way? Um, or was it the tight no, trousers? No, it, it was the drinks. It was the trousers? <laughs> no. I think it was the trousers. And, and That's they, the Ruddles, by the way. That's a, a Ruddle. The movie called The Ruddles. That's a Ruddles quote. He digresses. But I digress. So they get to the NFL. And that's or, just a chair squeaking, by the way. Or they get it's to the MLB, <laughs> or they get to the NHL, or they get to the NBA, wherever it is they are, and they still think that the, the same behavior can pass. They can just do whatever they want. The laws don't matter. Rules don't matter. And you know what? For the most part, I don't necessarily blame them. I blame the system for enabling them. Well, yeah, but I mean, they certainly have culpability here. I mean, come sure. on now. They, they make will. their own decisions here. You know, the NCAA, the NHL, the NBA, the NFL isn't making these decisions for them. And I kind of want to stray away from football, but I mean, I, I kind of want to take this in a little bit different direction. Every once in a while, you see just a brutal fight on the ice in the NHL. And as far as I'm concerned... You mean Thursdays? <laughs> Basically every day. No, but I mean, when somebody takes a stick and bashes somebody in the teeth, that's no longer hockey. That's has nothing to do with hockey anymore. That's thuggery again. And as far as I'm concerned, and I feel really strongly about this, I think real criminal charges should be able to be brought when something is clearly egreg as egregious and is clearly outside of the realm of anything related to hockey happens on the ice. 
you know, real criminal charges should be able to be brought up against these guys. And I mean, I know they're still struggling with that. I don't think it's happened yet, but I yeah, think I mean, it should be able to to happen. Absolutely. And and I still don't understand why fighting is allowed in hockey. Yeah, I like the European style hockey. I used to be a big hockey fan. I used to watch a lot of hockey. I really don't anymore because it's turned into thuggery, you know. I like fast, a lot of passes, real crisp hockey, you know, just fast, end to end, back and forth, a lot of excitement, a lot of action. And that's what I like. And, you know, just not getting it so much anymore. I wasn't planning this, but you brought up hockey. I did. It's my fault. I've, I've been working on my French-Canadian uh, hockey player being interviewed uh, routine. <laughs> what does that mean? You know I like impressions. I'm not good at them, but <laughs> I like impressions. Yeah, well, I think most people like impressions. Ask me a question. Um, related to hockey? As if I was a French-Canadian hockey player being interviewed by sports radio. Um, how's the ice today? Uh, ice was very good. Uh, we we moved the puck uh, up and down the ice. Uh we uh, we score in the net, and uh, the fans, they were very happy, and uh, we uh, score many goals, and uh, uh, the fans were happy. They jumped down and up, and uh, we win the game. That was, thank you very much. <laughs> That's Borat. That's not a French-Canadian <laughs> hockey right. player. I'm working on it, I said. That reminds me of a, of a movie called Slapshot, which was actually filmed, uh, part of it was filmed in a local hockey arena here in Utica, New York, and it starred... Uh, Paul Newman, right? Paul Newman. Paul Newman. And I remember they, they brought a European player over, and he was talking about when you com- when you do something that puts you in the penalty box, he says, then you go in penalty box and feel shame. <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh. But, you know, I have more, and I'm going to baseball right now. Uh-oh. We're in the whole wild world of sports. That's right. The, years ago, there was a, a pretty famous and very talented player named Vince Coleman. I think he was center fielder for the St. Louis Cardinals. And then the Mets ended up picking him up. And he didn't, you know, he didn't really do anything great while he was on the Mets. It was sort of the end of his career. He was in the twilight of his career. But I remember some fans or something were heckling him after the game outside the stadium, which is going to happen. It's it's going to happen. You play in New York City, especially in New York City, the fans can be a little... Cruel. <laughs> yeah. So I guess he lit, he had fireworks on him, like firecrackers, and he lit them and threw them at some children. I mean, what the hell is somebody thinking if they're throwing fireworks at children? I mean, that's so beyond my ability to comprehend the, the reasoning there that it's, 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 that's, that's so far over the line. I can't even see the line to quote Joey from Friends. To me, that's like saying, okay, I'm angry, so I'm going to take this stick that I see here, I'm going to whittle it into a sharp point, and then stab someone. That takes a lot of thought to actually go get the fireworks, light them, and throw well, them at people. he had them on him or something, but, you know... But they don't light themselves. There's some thought going into this. Well, right, but, I mean, he didn't have to run to the clubhouse and get them. They were apparently on him, and the, the fans were on the other side of the fence, and he lit them and threw them. I just don't get the thinking there. What on earth would make somebody think it's appropriate to throw explosives at anyone? War. I, yeah, that would be the only reason you would do it, and I don't approve of that either. That's good. It's good in war. People need to have, like, explosions well, going on. yeah, around. you need explosions in war, but I don't approve of war. Therefore, I don't approve of explosions. Therefore, I don't approve of Vince Coleman throwing fireworks at children. Well, you know, baseball is war. Didn't Yogi Berra say that? <laughs> is that one of the Berra-isms? Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of a Howard Stern joke that I'm not going to tell. Yeah, don't. 
So anyway, I don't yeah. know. Thuggery, put them all in jail. You know, well, again, they're thrust into the limelight, the spotlight, and there definitely is some pressure on these guys. But you know what? Maybe they ought to have some sort of like charm school for athletes who kind of grew up and they weren't exposed to these kinds of things. And suddenly they're put in a situation where they have money and power at their disposal and they behave badly. Maybe they need to go to Cotillion or something like that, you know? <laughs> they have to become debutantes first. Whatever it takes. Like they coming out parties. Walking around with books on their heads for balance and posture. I don't know, but... Thugmalion? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Thugmalion and Galatea. Yeah. It was a famous uh, piece of Greek literature or something, wasn't it? I don't know. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think there's too many people in our audience who are going to disagree with us on thuggery, but if you do disagree, you should definitely email John. Feedback at bloodyveg.com. Yeah, and that goes and then to Rich, too. And that includes you... Chris, hockey, Chris. He probably likes the thuggery. <laughs> you know what? That's an interesting question. Does Chris like the hockey thuggery or not? Mm. Well, you know what? If he would email us, we'd know, but apparently he's not interested in emailing us. You know, I'm actually quite thrilled with the way this repaired compressor sounds. It sounds really good. I'm actually happy that it got fixed. It took a little bit more money than it would have cost in Utica to get it fixed, but... um it sounds good. It's I, worth it. I'm satisfied with it, although it's starting to irk me, and I think I might hit you with a hockey stick. Well, don't be surprised if you're in jail. All right. You know what you need? What do I need? You need to relax. You know what you can uh, relax, too? Well, music soothes the wildest beast. <laughs> you know what kind of music is the best to relax to? I don't know. Reggae? It's funny, because John and I searched long and hard to find a cool piece of reggae, and we had to go to not the country you'd expect to actually find this, but you'll know when you hear the song. Let's check it out.
aus, habe mich zurückgezogen in mein kleines sicheres Haus. Ich beobachte Tag für Tag aus einer geschützten Position und was ich da sehe, das mag ich nicht. Ich glaub es nicht so. Du kannst mir erzählen, was du willst, solange du nur eine Seite kennst. Hast du keine Sicherheit, die andere als dein Feind zu nennen. Du musst dir schon die Mühe machen, beide Seiten zu verstehen. Du kannst doch ohne Zweifel ein gerechtes Urteil finden. Hast du Zweifel, dann glaub es nicht Glaub es nur, wenn du sicher bist Hast du Zweifel, dann glaub es nicht Glaub es nur, wenn du sicher bist And so, yeah, John and I were searching long and hard to find some really cool reggae to play on this show. Who would have thunk it, but we had to go to Germany to find it. <laughs> German reggae. Nothing like it. In my wildest dreams, when this band, when we auditioned this piece, I had no idea they were from Germany until suddenly they were rapping in German. <laughs> that rules. Yeah, this was... These guys uh, are awesome. This is called Propaganda by... by Jamin Incorporated. Jamin Inc. And you know what? We uh, we checked out a couple other tunes, and they all rock. And we're going to definitely play some more in the near future. Yeah. These guys rule. A bunch of, you know, pasty white guys playing reggae, man. But They're keeping it real, and, and the Dutch keep the funk real. Yeah. What was that band we that, used to play? Uh, that was uh, Dr. Funkentones. <laughs> no, who was it really? What was the name of that band? Dr. Flexitone. Dr. Flexitone, yeah. We had to go to uh, Holland to Holland, find yeah. funk, and we had to go to Germany to find reggae, because literally every reggae tune we auditioned on the Podsafe Music Network sucked. And then this one came in with the fret that 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 the really cool sort of skewed, clanky reggae snare drum, and I was yeah, like, wow, this is the real deal. It's the snare without the snare on. It's the... Yeah, those guys rule. So, you know, I saw I saw another fantastic film this week. Completely different. It was sort of a lighthearted, humorous film, but I would say equally as good as the film I saw last week. Man, you know, maybe not quite equally as good. Last week's film was a 10. This one was a 9. Nine and a half? Somewhere in that. Weeks. Is that what you watched? I have seen that film, yes, but no, I have not seen it in many years. Hmm. Yesterday. <laughs> no, actually, it's been about... 15 years since I've seen nine and a half weeks. But um, we've got your own copy, right? <laughs> I don't actually know. You got your collection. This film was called Avenue Montaigne. Montagne? I don't know. It's French. M O N T A I G N E. And this is a French film, obviously directed by Danielle Thompson. It's a 2007 film, rated BG 13. It's 100 minutes, and it was sort of lighthearted. It was a comedy, I guess. But there were a lot of really I get okay, I'm gonna describe this film a little differently. Picture Quentin Tarantino being a romantic and not making sort of violent films or or, you know, those seventies sort of exploitation films that he grew up watching. He's not Pic a romantic already? Well, picture a, a gushing romantic Quentin Tarantino having sex with Robert Altman and spawning a love child. That love child would have directed this film. 
So let me guess. Um, ensemble cast. Yeah. A lot of garish colors. <laughs> well, it wasn't about the colors, but there was a lot of great like, dialogue. Great dialogue. There's a lot of different stories being told at different times, kind of the way Altman would do it. But then they sort of all intersect. No, no. That's oh, see, okay. the romantic Tarantino has no gunfighting. But then sort of these stories all intersect at a certain point in a... A light bulb goes off, and you go, "Aha! I get it now." Sort of the Taran, sort of the pulp fiction esque kind of plot. Was there a guy with a wallet that said "badass mother"? <laughs> I'm sorry, no, no, there wasn't. But the film was kind of about two or three main characters. There was a woman named Jessica, played by played by Cecile de France. <laughs> that's apparently Is she from the, France. I guess that's apparently the actress's real name, and. All of these characters are kind of going through life-changing experiences, and we get to see that. We get to see them evolve as the film goes on. One of the other characters is a sort of a self-made man. He start, As he points out in the film, he started out as a taxicab driver, and now he was a multimillionaire. And he's sort of tired of his life, and he has amassed this amazing collection of art and furniture, and he's selling it at auction. And there's another character, a character named, get this, Jean-Francois. <laughs> French again? <laughs> yeah, played by Albert Dupontel. And he is a classically trained pianist who's quite famous uh, worldwide, apparently. And he's tired of the trappings of being a classical musician. He wants something simpler. He doesn't want to have to play in front of these crowds with a tuxedo on anymore. There was a point in the film where he was playing at what looked like a cancer hospital for patients who, you know, some of them actually had their, their IVs with them, you know, kind of on wow. the stand and they were dragging them around. And he was longing for the simpler life where he could play to crowds like this. And it was actually quite an amazing scene because there were children sort of like touching him while he was playing. And imagine that kind of connection. The crowd was right there. They were, zero inches from you or three feet from you and you were no really security? no and you were actually connecting with your audience instead of you know having that sort of barrier of the audience from the musician on the stage and he really liked that but he kind of had a wife who was sort of into the trappings of being a world famous classical musician and what sort of went with it so he was at that crossroads in his life where he kind of wanted to long for the simpler things he wanted to have a house by the uh, by the shore and perhaps teach piano and occasionally do concerts but do concerts like at hospitals and play for people and actually connect with people mm-hmm. and the the uh, Jacques character was kind of at that crossroads where he wanted to just rid himself of all of these earthly possessions he imagined this amazing amount of art, sculptures and furniture, you know, 16th century furniture and, you know, just mostly, I'm sure. Yeah. Amazing millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of things. So he had made the choice to kind of divest himself of, of all of these things and just kind of take a different path. I mean, his big quote was something like, I don't even remember what it was. He said something like, I, I'm tired of being a security guard at a museum, kind of referring uh-huh. to his house. And uh, the the main character that we see the most of, Jessica, was kind of mm, – her life situation wasn't quite as dramatic as the rest of them. But she was kind of – how should I say? you know, Her parents had died at an early age, and she was kind of finding herself. Not quite as dramatically as the rest of these people. You know, like the, the pianist, for example – 
was playing a concert in this amazing amphitheater in France. Not an not an outdoor theater, but a theater, an indoor theater. And he was sweating, and he just stopped playing in the middle of the piece, and he just started taking clothes off. And he stripped down to a T-shirt, and he said, you know, I'm really hot, and now I would like to finish the piece for you. Because he just got tired of the, the black tie right. and the, the tails. The pomp. You know? The pomp and circumstance of of – what goes with classical music, the snobbery, if you will, you know? And, uh, so he just decided to finish the piece in his t-shirt and the crowd went wild and, uh, and, uh, you know, they all lived happily ever after. But yeah, at what point did the French, um, surrender? (laughs) Oh wait, different show. Yeah. That's a different film, but yeah, I mean, wonderful, wonderful ensemble film, a lot of really interesting characters at really cool crossroads in their lives. And they all, uh, choose to do different things. And yeah, this gets all kinds of thumbs from me. Avenue Montagna, Montaigne, or however it's pronounced. And again, taking his shoes off so he can give his, his toe thumbs. I, I only have sandals on today. I have my Tevas on today, but for my, uh, friend Ken, who can't remember, what I talked about in the beginning of the review, uh, this is a 2007 film by director Danielle Thompson. It's from France, rated PG-13, 100 minutes, and it's subtitled, and I really recommend this film. And I think that's a show. What do you think there, uh, Fireball? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is summer. Listen, Sparky. I know it's summer, and you and your grill are going to grill up some of Peach Sweaty Balls. <laughs> You know what we're going to do? We're going to fire up the grill. In fact, we've got charcoal ready to go. I want to come over one day and have some grilled vegetables. Yeah, I didn't get the uh, the shrooms, but i got to go pick <laughs> some up. I'm going to pick up some squash and we'll shrooms. check them out. So check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. Oh, yeah, it's my turn. It's uh, Check out the web at bloodyveg.com and send us emails to feedback at bloodyveg.com. Hey, don't forget to send us email at feedback at bloodyveg.com. Hey, check and, out our website. And check out the forum, www.bloodyveg.com slash forum. I guess that's a show. It is show. Anyway, you've been listening to the VIB, 